0: Just go to Cars.com. It's magical.
1: Hey, everyone. This is Les Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys. And on this week's podcast, we are talking about your 19 and 39 Detroit Pistons. Ben Gulker returns, and we talk about buyout week, the Pistons bringing up Donta Hall on a 10-day contract, and what shifting Bruce Brown to shooting guard means as Kyrie Thomas scores 27 points in his G League season debut. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing, because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season, and it has been a long one. With all that said, It's time to go to work. 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 Hello, everyone. Uh, After some technical difficulties, we are in. It is Ben and Laz here on the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. How's it going, Ben?
0: Not bad. I thought I got like bought out at the last second. I couldn't get into the podcast room. I was, like <laughs> got to call my agent. Man, not bad last. How are you?
1: I'm doing well. And you know, as I'm the front office, I guess, in this situation, like, man, <laughs> like why can why can't we get in touch with Ben's representation? What's going on, man? But yeah, it's it's buyout week <laughs> for our Detroit Pistons. Uh first things first, we got to talk about the uh the Reggie Jackson buyout. He was bought out uh, earlier this week, gave back for the privilege of being able to sign with a playoff team in the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, Ben, do you want to reminisce at all about Reggie Jackson's career in in a Detroit Pistons uniform?
0: Yeah, Reggie's really a what if, right? I mean, missed so much time, due to injury, lost so many of his prime days of his career, uh, you know, sitting on the bench hurt, which is really a bummer. You know, honestly, I was never really a huge Reggie Jackson fan. I know he ended up being pretty polarizing by the time he left. Um, Early in his career, you know, thinking back to when he was acquired, he was acquired at sort of an odd time. Pistons went on a nasty losing streak. I think it was like a nine game losing streak or something after they acquired him. You know, just me personally, I was not a huge fan of his game initially. Um, I wasn't really a, a big fan of the way he left OKC and what some of his teammates had to say. Uh, And just wasn't a fan of his brand of basketball. But, you know, as time went on with Reggie, he definitely won me over as a fan. I think, you know, what we saw in his best moments, that 44-win team that made the playoffs under Van Gundy, uh, he gave us a glimpse of what uh, he could do as a pick-and-roll point guard and the kind of player Andre Drummond could be as a pick-and-roll finisher, right? So, you know, those were the best things uh, early in his career that we saw with the Pistons. And then I think last year I gained a ton of respect for him. You know, he was a consummate pro. He was asked essentially to reinvent his game next to Blake Griffin, uh, play a lot more off the ball. Uh, and clearly he did things to improve himself. He became a much better spot up shooter, uh, was a very efficient weapon from beyond the arc. Um, and you look, I'm, I'm pulling for him. I, I Again, obviously this season started with yet another injury. And so this season is one of several where it was, what if, what if Reggie had stayed healthy you know, he was the key cog of the offense, um, you know, prior to Blake Griffin and the Pistons were at their best when he was on the court. So, yeah, I mean, on the one hand, it's definitely, you know, I'm definitely happy in the sense that the Pistons are moving on and going a another direction. Uh, and I'm pulling for Blake, I hope, or for Reggie, I hope he has a good end of the season with, with the Clippers and hope he's able to find some success moving forward in his career.
1: What if is definitely the, Uh, the correct way to think about like what, uh, what Reggie Jackson's Pistons tenure was like, there are even multiple inflection points, right? Like there was a couple of years into that contract, there were trade rumors surrounding him uh, for Ricky Rubio, right? What if the Pistons had made that trade? Like what was like Ricky Rubio's contract was shorter, I believe. And Rubio was always better defensively, but uh, less of a shooter than Reggie. So like what, what kind of, you know, dominoes would, would that have triggered, You know, if Stan Van Gundy hadn't felt the need to hand Reggie Jackson, like say, you know, sixty five million dollars instead of eighty million dollars, what what would have changed? What would that have changed about, uh, you know, making Reggie Jackson's like tenure as a Piston perhaps a little bit shorter? And then, you know, you are right; it always just it was this tantalizing glimpse of what uh, of the partnership that should have been had with Andre Drummond. Um, You know, who actually it made me think of it made me think of quite often. Um, the, there was this like intense fan desire to pick up D'Angelo Russell. And I always thought that D'Angelo Russell was kind of Reggie Jackson after Reggie Jackson was Reggie Jackson is this, just this pick and roll playmaker. Um, this guy who like shoots threes off of the pick and roll is just a really good passer out of the pick and roll and doesn't really do uh, much else for a basketball team. And, you know, D'Angelo Russell is similarly probably overpaid at this point. And, you know, I just continue to track that uh, with with interest, with interest. Uh, You know, but Reggie was uh, bought out, opened up a roster spot. The Pistons used that roster spot to sign Derek Walton Jr. to a 10-day contract. Ben, you're the Michigan man. Like, what, what, if anything, should Pistons fans expect from Derek Walton Jr.?
0: Uh, Good question. I think mostly this is kind of a long shot. Um, I was a fan of his in college, but to me, he never looked like he had the NBA body just looked a little bit undersized and to me just didn't look like a guy who seemed like he was uh, likely to have success at the next level obviously the next question about um, you know signing him is well what what does that mean about bone and and his status with respect to the pistons i think the interesting thing here is they've got and casey talked about this in his most recent interview on pistons.com so to me it kind of looks like they're you know basically just finding a way to take two flyers at once, right? You've got some time left with Jordan Bones' two-way contract, and then you've got 20, what, 25 games, I think, left as of today, before today's game at Portland, uh, where you're going to take a flyer on Walton. And that that's not a bad thing. Um, you know, and obviously it's only a 10-day contract. So if for whatever reason it doesn't work out, there's no long-term commitment, and you've got additional time for Jordan Bone over those last 15 games. So, yeah, I mean, worth a shot, but I honestly, I don't have – Super high hopes for what Walton can do for the Pistons. Unfortunately,
1: yeah, I think there's been a lot of uh, there's been a lot of like clamor for a better look at Jordan Bone, and like I have definitely been part of that as well. I don't want to sound exclusionary on that front because of Bone, Bone's play in the G League, but as I think about this some more, it does make sense to just continue to extend out the two way as long as possible. Um, we have not seen Jordan Bone kind of deliver at the NBA level. And when you think about his game, his game is predicated on him leveraging his superior athleticism and like that works in the G League, but we're not entirely sure like that will work against NBA athletes. And so you would like to be able to see it. But if he's not, say, proving it in practice or uh, if he hasn't shown it like in his time with the with the big club, it makes sense why he's not necessarily, you know, in this team's future evaluations. And, you know, accordingly, we've sort of skirted around this at times uh, previously on this podcast, but, you know, the top of this draft is stacked with ball handlers, and perhaps, you know, if the Pistons were to use their first-round pick on a point guard, that kind of edges Jordan Bone out of any future, like, point guard prospects with Detroit anyway, and so perhaps they're not overly concerned uh, with seeing what they have in Jordan Bone at this time. You know, maybe that's a little bit premature. You never know exactly who's going to fall to you you in the draft. You never know exactly like what kind of draft pick you're going to get. And so it makes sense to hold all your options open. But at the same time, like that's what they're doing on the two-way deal, right? We don't know exactly how many days are left, but I presume that they can stretch it out until the end of the season. Uh, Bone and King are not going to join the team on this West Coast road trip, I think, for example. And so that's like a full week of service time that they, they just don't get. And, you know, there's only, you know, six or so weeks left in the season. And so it, it makes a lot of sense as to why they're not they're choosing not to elevate Jordan Bone uh, at this time. You know, uh, but one guy they did elevate was Donta Hall. All right. So Markeith Morris was bought out. There was a lot of consternation because, uh, you know, Ed Stefanski talked a little bit about how the the offers that they got from Markeith Morris prior to the dra- the trade deadline weren't to their liking. But then they ended up, you know, parting with him for literally nothing. And so it's a case of where something needed to be. Better than nothing, Ben. Do you think a a buyout is a better expected value than like a pick in the fifties or forties in in a draft that does not appear to be particularly great?
0: So I've reread his comments on this issue probably like four or five times in the last few weeks, and his comments are so convoluted, right? Like it's it's hard to figure out exactly what he's saying. Um, But like, I guess the only thing I could think of in his defense is if they weren't able to trade him into space, that means they would have had to take some contract back and maybe the contracts that were on the table in order to get a pick were not to their liking. Right. So maybe it was three years left on a deal or something like that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's very puzzling. It sort of raises questions about what, you know, what is this front office doing? What direction are they committed to? Um, On the one hand, it's, it's fine that Marquise Morris is gone. Uh, He was almost certainly going to opt into his option next season and, there's really no point for the Pistons to have him around given uh, the rebuild. Uh, On the other hand, I feel like you always want to have an extra second round pick if you can, because your commitment to the second round pick is so minimal. Um, And maybe it's only one out of 10 or one out of 15 of those picks in the forties or fifties pays off, but the Pistons are going to have to get lucky somewhere. Right? So uh, it's disappointing to see that. Um, I, I just have to think there must have been, there must have been something in the background that never made it out into the public uh, that made this not that made the whatever trade this was that could have brought back a pick not worth doing.
1: That's an excellent theory of the case that the contracts was kind of the blocking point for that, because I can definitely see like the teams that would be interested in a Markeith Morris. Right. Are you know were the Lakers were the Clippers? Um, I believe like the Sixers were also listed. Um, none of those teams have available roster spots. And so you would have to take something back. You would have to take back, like, uh, I don't know, the, the Lakers cut DeMarcus Cousins, for example, in order to make room to sign Markeith Morris. So you have to take back a DeMarcus Cousins, and maybe they just weren't looking to make a even a short-term commitment to a guy like that. But at the same time, like it, it does kind of show a troubling pattern of not maximizing uh, their assets allocation like during a rebuild and on one hand uh if you if you want to play the part of pistons pr you can say that they're doing this in a much more uh you know relationship building kind of way instead of trading marquee someplace he doesn't want to go they allow him to be bought out and go to a championship team when that may have not been where the the second round picks were available um they allow reggie to go when you know there probably wasn't a very strong trade market for him saying as how he was just coming off the injury. Um, And, uh, and so, you know, they weren't, they weren't necessarily going to get an asset for him. So again, they kind of just let uh, him go and, and see uh, what kind of in place of like not getting any offers for him. But at the same time, like when you're rebuilding, you know, every little bit matters every, you know, 58th pick, uh, matters Like the 57th pick last year is Jordan Bone. And that's a guy like we, we've talked about a lot over the course of the season. Um, a guy who, you know, maybe doesn't the front office doesn't figure that they he factors into their plans. But again, like you just want as many swings or as many bites at the apple as you can get. And so I, I'm, I'm just curious to see if uh, the front office continues to reward like the tiny amount of faith we've given them uh, with the rest of this rebuild. I will say though that, you know, filling that available roster spot with Dante Hall was something that I think a lot of Pistons fans were are in favor of. Uh Dante Hall uh, signed a 10-day contract. He's the guy who's been the center for the Grand Rapids Drive. He's been playing uh, extremely well in the G League for the last couple of uh of months for the uh Grand Rapids Drive. Uh Ben, what kind of impact do you think Dante Hall is going to have uh for the Pistons?
0: Well, I think Expectations ought to be tempered, right? Because if he were going to be a big impact player, we'd probably have seen him sooner. Um, you know, you got to have four bigs um, right now. Pistons are rolling with three prior to this, with with Marquee Morris being bought out. Um, but to me, again, this this sort of makes sense. Like you're taking a you're taking a shot, uh, and you you have to take some shots on some of these young guys. Um, you know, I, I would expect that this probably is not going to impact Christian Woods' minutes because they're still trying to evaluate what they have in Christian Wood, what sort of money they want to commit to him, etc. By contrast, Henson and Thon Maker, those are both known quantities, right? We know who those guys are. So any minutes that you're given to Hall over those two guys, I'm all for it. Because um, like we, like I'm saying, you, you're you going to have to get lucky somewhere in the course of this rebuild. You know, probably not going to be Dante Hall, but hey, you never know. Maybe there's something there uh, he's worth bringing on as your fourth big uh, as part of a rebuild. Um but yeah, I mean I think realistic expectations. You know, if he were an impact player, we'd probably have seen him sooner.
1: That's totally fair. I think uh the way the the Pistons.com Keith Langlois spun it was, you know, the last undersized center from Alabama the Pistons have had was Ben Wallace and like that yeah, was Yeah,
0: pumped the brakes, Keith. <laughs> I saw that too.
1: That was a touch too strong, probably. Oh man. Uh <laughs> so Okay, so we have a Google Doc that's got all of our like topics for the week listed out. And so I have just like SekuWatch, like listed. And then there's a bullet point that Ben put in that's just YIKES in all caps. <laughs> so Ben, what's <laughs> what's YIKES about Watch? Oh, man.
0: Yeah, so I mean, we don't have a lot of games to discuss between the last time you and I talked, Laz. I mean, the Milwaukee game was the only one we had this week so far. That game was just brutal. Um, you know, Giannis just bodied the entire team and pretty much had his way on the, the few times that Seku was on him as well. You know, Sekou to me, when he has the ball in his hands, he looks like he wants to do something and he looks like he knows what he wants to do, uh, but it doesn't look like the rest of the lineup on the court has any interest in participating in whatever that is with him, right? So <laughs> he'll get the ball on the top of the key and everyone just stands around. Uh, no one will set a screen for him. No one will do anything off the ball to generate movement. Um, Then when he doesn't have the ball, he just sort of drifts, Um, you know, he drifts into the corner or he drifts out kind of to the extended, um, like I want to say the extended elbow, right? So the three point line sort of at the elbow area, like he just sort of wanders off into no man's land. So offensively um, it just isn't there for him right now. Um, I don't know if this is a coaching thing. I don't know if this is him just being deer in headlights But, you know, we contrast this with, you know, some of his very first performances going back a few weeks ago. Now it's like, they don't, he doesn't look like the same player. Um, He just looks completely, completely lost most of the time. Um, I think he also had, when he, and Laz, I think I've seen you talk about this on Twitter. He has made some nice cuts off the ball. um, but, But when he does, it's like the Pistons guards are just blind to it. So he, when he does move without the ball, he doesn't get rewarded. When he has the ball, he doesn't get rewarded because everyone stands around. And then when he drifts, sometimes they find him and his shot's not falling, right? So it's kind of an 0 for 3, a big whiff. Uh, and then I mentioned, you know, we saw him. Obviously, no one can stop Giannis. So it's not totally fair to evaluate his defense just based on what Giannis did to him. But certainly got overpowered. And I, I think, you know, some of that 19-year-old... Uh, undeveloped body is starting to show a little bit. He's going to have to hit the weight room this summer cuz he's getting pushed a little pushed around a little bit defensively. Um so yeah, it, it has been a struggle. He has looked like he needs to go back to the G League to be perfectly honest.
1: I think it's too late to send him back to the G League uh just because like again, if he goes down, he dominates or he plays, you know, plays better and then he comes back up to the to the main team and he you still have the same issues, right? Uh, with, with the like lack of the guards like failing to hit him on cuts and stuff, you'll still have that uh, regardless of whether or not he like gains his confidence back in the G League. Um, I will say the the game against Giannis, like I, I really hope that's instructive for yeah. Seiku, right like yeah. that's it's a big demonstration of like how strong you're going to have to get to compete like at the highest level in the NBA. It's like literally hitting you in the chest so you can feel it. Um, yeah, you, you, you mentioned you brought up what I was going to bring up about, uh, the other teammates not being able to hit him when he does move off the ball. And like, that's, that's, that's really frustrating for me. And I can't imagine how frustrating that is for him, especially since like, that was how, when he was successful, that was how he was getting a lot of his points. He was getting a lot of drop-off cuts. He was moving without the ball and getting open shots that way. He has never been a guy. Who's been uh like a uh, uh like throwing together dribble combinations and and uh, putting up eighteen footers? He's never been like a, a Jason Tatum type. He's always been a guy who's been dependent on his teams recognizing the play around them, and so it, you can see why you know as the Pistons you know quietly uh, lose, continue to lose point guards, and continue to like not have guys with really high basketball IQs on the court like like a Luke Kennard. Um, you, you see why he'd be frustrated. Uh, I will say there was there was one thing, or there were a couple things I did like, even through all the morass in that Milwaukee game. I like that Seku uh, attacked, or I like that he attacked the Giannis matchup. He didn't back down. Uh, Giannis definitely took it to him because Giannis takes it to everybody, but uh, Seku was engaged and driven to to compete in that matchup, and that's the time that's the type of thing that will get him favor with the current coaching staff. Like Casey has talked a lot about how he can handle Seku, you know, not necessarily producing points or rebounds if he's playing with intensity and playing with fervor. And I thought he did a good job of that against Milwaukee. The other thing that I thought was interesting was that uh, they brought Christian Wood off the bench so that he didn't have to guard Giannis. And so they let Seku guard Giannis instead. I'd like that. I didn't quite know what to make of that. If They just felt more comfortable about like your 19-year-old rookie guarding the MVP instead of your 24-year-old like scrap heap find guarding the MVP. It, that didn't make a ton of sense to me either way, but there were no real good options. And so I was willing to let it slide. But it did, it did seem interesting that they're like, hey, like we want you to match up with this guy that we we all know is better but like we still want you to engage and be engaged with the matchup and you know maybe that is to kind of spark his intensity his uh competitive fire um and maybe that was the maybe it worked as desired maybe that wasn't the plan it's it's really just hard to tell without (laughs) without being in the locker room
0: this is advertiser content brought to you by frito lay
1: hello i'm chip murphy here to get you ready for the big tournament
0: Just go to snack it.sbnation.com No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends four three twenty twenty-three. Void wherever hip. Here's worth the snacks awarded in the form of fifty-two coupons, each good for one bag of chess. See official rules at Frito-Lay snack at All right,
1: Ben. Uh Dwayne you spoke a little bit about Dwayne Casey's uh comments before the Milwaukee game. Uh he said something I you knew I wouldn't like, <laughs> which is that uh you had some comments about Bruce seeing Bruce as more of a two guard, less playing less point guard uh, for the rest of the season, um, playing with another primary ball handler on the floor uh, in these last couple of games. Uh, how did you interpret those comments, Ben?
0: So the thing that stuck out to me in a positive sense was um, talking about him as a secondary ball handler. Um, you know That's something the Pistons haven't had for a very long time. This season we saw glimpses of it when everybody was healthy. Um, but I don't think there's anything, I mean, there's only good things can come from having additional ball handlers, right? Wherever Bruce lines up, having his ball handling skills be developed over the course of this really strange season is ultimately going to serve him well. I think, um, part of me that was scratching my head about this is I'm just curious how in tune Casey is with the front office and vice versa and the extent to which there's any sort of very specific planning going on around specific players and personnel, right? So obviously we know that a rebuild is happening. Um, we just unloaded Reggie and Markeith. Um Any concerns that were sort of lingering in my mind that they were going to, you know, try to make some sort of a push and win the season, those are all out the window. So that's a positive. Um, but comments like this, it, j- it just sort of makes me wonder like, okay, Bruce Brown is – thought of as a shooting guard by the coach like what does that mean for the rest of the roster right because you've got svi you've got luke and you've got bruce all three of those guys playing the same position doesn't make a whole lot of sense um and laz as you've pointed out like he's made a lot of bruce that is has made a lot of strides as a point guard this season and seemingly there's some untapped potential there right um i do think the The significant limiting factor with Bruce Brown as point guard is, at least thus far, his inability to shoot the three-point shot outside of the corners. Um, As a guy who's initiating the offense, I feel like he's sort of, you know, he's not a guy who can come off of a pick-and-roll and and shoot a pull-up three, right? He's not even a guy who you want shooting pull-up 17-footers off of a pick-and-roll. So I think, you know, there are some really clear limits with, with the type of offensive scheme you can run with him at the one, but those don't go away at the two. Um. So yeah, I, I mean, it just it sort of makes me wonder. Like, one is the coach in touch with the front office and vice versa. And then two, like, what are they thinking long term about the shooting guard position? Obviously, Luke Kennard trade block rumors uh, at the deadline were happening. Um My personal opinion is we've seen that. You know, Svi, to me, does not look like a a starting shooting guard. He's He's pretty limited in terms of his um, ability to create with the ball in his hands. I think Luke is much better at that. So the Pistons still have a shooting guard question to answer, especially if they're thinking about parting ways with Luke Kennard. Um, putting Bruce Brown there, you know, imagine a season from now where starting Derrick Rose and Bruce Brown at the one and two. You're not doing yourself a whole lot of favors in terms of shooting. So it just makes me question what the Pistons are thinking about in terms of the long-term direction at shooting guard.
1: See, that's funny to me because what I was thinking about was the long term future of the team at point guard, and how yeah, Bruce yeah. maybe doesn't factor in there, but they like what they've seen in him so far. They like what he does with the ball in his hands. He did manage to have uh, seven assists with no turnovers in that Milwaukee game, and so they they and they like his defense. So they like him on the court. They just you know can't necessarily envision him leading the offense uh which is fair you know uh there have been times where like maybe bruce has played well but the offense as a whole kind of stalls out when he's handling the ball as a point guard and so it's it seems kind of like a way to get him on the floor without uh having the offense stall out completely you're right in that you know, if your future for like the next season is like Derek Rose and Bruce Brown in the backcourt, like that's not even that's not a backcourt that's like elite at any one thing, right? It's not elite offensively, it's not elite defensively because, you know, Rose is not a good defensive player and Bruce is not an amazing offensive player at this time. And so it it does kind of uh offer some uh some trouble about like what the Pistons are gonna envision moving forward. This is why you know, you talked a little bit about, bit about Luke's injury. I've been really curious to see a Bruce Luke back to court in yes. the long term yeah. for or at least for the rest of the season. Right. Um, last year, I believe those when those two guys were on the floor together, um, the net rating was negative. Uh, but if you remember last year, you know, those if those guys were on the floor together, it was like Bruce at the two and Luke at the three. Right. There was a very rare chance uh, last time they got to see Bruce Brown play point guard at the nba level and so you know with those guys kind of sharing ball handling duties uh you still kind of run into the trap of it being not not elite at any one thing but that does seem more like a long a better long-term play than like a derrick rose and bruce brown you know
0: yeah and one of the things i put out on twitter this week was um bruce brown's career trajectory sort of feels like he's developing into a smaller version of a Draymond on green where he's like He's, he's good at several little things, but he's not like particularly elite at things that you would expect a really good player to be elite at. And I think there's definitely room for Bruce Brown on a whole lot of rosters. The thing, as I'm thinking about Bruce's long-term fit, like he seems like the kind of guy you would want to add to a five-man unit um, that has three good scorers in it, right? And Bruce doesn't need to be. And the Pistons just do not have that because... Bruce excels at the things that aren't scoring. Um, And as I was watching the Milwaukee game, one of the things I kept thinking was like Bruce Brown's effectiveness right now is so limited by the fact that no one in this, in the lineups he's playing in can make a shot, right? Like, so he does a great job of breaking down the defense and kicking it out, but he's kicking it out to Thon Maker, you know? So it (laughs) it sort of puts a really clear limit on how effective Bruce can be, right? Because he does all the right things, but it ends up not mattering because there's no one there who can make a shot. So like part of me wonders, like Bruce as a key cog of a rebuild almost feels weird because his skill sets are better suited to being like the sixth man on a team that's already good, if that makes sense.
1: No, that that totally makes sense, right? Like we think of Bruce as kind of like a baby version of Marcus Smart. Sure. Right? And, yeah. I, and I believe that's what you got when you put out that thought about Bruce Spring, uh, a shorter version of Draymond green and, you know, Marcus smart has always been more, he's always been better positioned for success on that Boston team, like with a real point guard next to him, right? Like it was Isaiah Thomas and then it was Kyrie, Kyrie Irving. And now it's Kimball Walker and, you know, sharing the backcourt with those guys and it frees him up to do the things that he's good at which is like shut guys down on defense and like make the most ridiculous offensive rebounds you've ever seen and so if if bruce can become a junior version of that like that absolutely does help make a winning team better but you're right in that i'm not sure how it makes a rebuilding team win uh, that'll be tricky but that's something to just monitor moving forward definitely but like speaking of the the backlog at shooting guard we got uh, Kyrie Thomas back uh, in the Grand Rap for the Grand Rapids Drive. He's back playing. Uh, he scored 27 points in his G League uh, debut this season. He played some time in the G League uh, last year. Um, you know, Ben. You know how how much do you think the Pistons should factor in uh, Kyrie Thomas's development uh, for the rest of the year?
0: Well, I think they have to give him a look. I think at this point, you have a pretty firm handle on who Svi is. Right? Um, we sort of know where his limits are. Um, we know what he's good at. We know where he struggles. Um, Luke Kennard, I think we pretty much know who he is. So I don't think there's a huge rush to get him a whole lot of minutes at, at the end of the season over these last 25 games. And we know who Bruce Brown is, right? Um, there's still potential in all three of those guys, but we pretty much understand like what their skill sets are and how they factor in uh, to whatever the rebuild turns into. Um, you know, Kyrie Thomas, first of all, got to feel bad for him, right? Like we talked about Reggie Jackson at the top of the show. What if he had stayed, if he had stayed healthy, you know, obviously Kyrie kind of the same question. Like what if he had stayed healthy? Um, it takes skill to score 27 points in the G league, especially after coming back from injury. So there's, there's some talent there. Um, I really hope it's not too little too late for him. Uh, I really hope the Pistons give him, you know, 10 games of run to see, you know, to see if if he's a you know a three and D kind of player or something else, because I think again you're you're gonna have to get lucky somewhere. You got to give all of these guys a shot, because um, winning just doesn't matter right now. Got to give some of these young guys the chance to go improve whether they can whether they can cut it or not.
1: Yeah, I actually watched his game against the I believe it's the North Arizona Suns uh, to see like kind of how he looked in his debut, and he started off really poorly he started off like a guy who like hadn't played in a while because he'd been injured he airballed i think his first shot and was just uh getting shots up just to get shots up but once he settled down you could really see the type of player that he was going to be and what he he also kind of looks like a guy who would really help solidify a team that's already winning right like he is a pure three and d player at this point in his career uh, the bulk of his twenty-seven points came off of uh, threes, but they were—it was a very versatile skill set from threes. He had a he had a couple threes off movement. He had one three off a of DHO, had a good catch and shoot uh, corner three, and so and he was you know he was really good defensively from a communication standpoint. Um, not necessarily as like a lockdown guy, but from a communication. And, uh, like, hard hedging and, like, movement and uh, positioning standpoint, he was quite good. And that's something that the Pistons have always kind of said about Kyrie is that he's a really good defender. Um, and so you you see where he would fit in. But, again, like, if you already have – we have Sfi and we have Luke and we have Bruce and now Bruce is a shooting guard. Is, I don't know if uh, Kyrie Thomas', like, Langston Galloway impersonation is enough to – continue like his uh, his development on this team um, it would it I can totally tell like the it would suck to give him up because he would definitely like catch on someplace and just be a guy who shoots like 38 percent from three and has good defense and makes a winning team uh, they flow a little bit more smoothly and that would be really frustrating and again to you know draft another guy in the second round and have them pan out someplace else but uh, you know there's just it's very tough positionally right now. And so I will be curious to see how able he is to break into uh, the rotation this season. Um, the, the front office had a lot of faith in him uh, before the draft. They traded, uh, I believe, two future picks to, to get him. And so, you know, it's definitely time for him to, you know, flash that uh, team defense and continue to just make, you know, wide open catch and shoot looks. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right, Ben, Uh, the Pistons this week, they have uh, we are recording on Sunday, so they play Portland later tonight. We have already agreed that I'm going to stay up for that and you don't have to. (laughs) Uh, They play Denver on Tuesday. They play at Phoenix on Friday and they play at Sacramento on Sunday again. Uh, Ben, do the Pistons win a game this week?
0: How bad is Sacramento? Although, I mean, that's the end of a four-game road trip, too. So, I mean, you got to expect Portland and Denver are just going to give them the business. Phoenix, I mean, who knows? I think Phoenix is probably better. But, but man, who are the Pistons? Oh, the Pistons are so bad right now. I There's no way. There's no way they win a game. There's no way. They're terrible.
1: So, they did beat Phoenix at home the last time they played them. But they had... Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson and Markeith Morris and a bunch of guys they don't have right now for that game. So that'll be uh, much different. Well, can we
0: just point out that the Pistons lost a game 76 to 87 in 2020, right? (laughs) Like that happened. They scored 76 points in a game in
1: 2020. And the offense was just
0: so bad. (laughs) It's just, they're so bad.
1: Yeah. Well, so, yeah, maybe maybe they beat Sacramento. Uh, Sacramento, I think, has played better since uh, the Trevor Ariza trade. Um, Harry Giles... Oh, they, they, Sacramento just beat the Clippers. Uh, Harry Giles had, uh, like, 14 and 12. And, you know, they've been playing much better since De'Aaron Fox has returned. And so, like, yeah, that that is probably not going to be an easy game. There are not a lot of easy games left for a team as bad as the Pistons. Uh, I will say, though, we've talked a lot about how like the, the psychic energy of bad losing streaks kind of wears on a team. If the Pistons don't win a game this week, that'll be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine losses in a row. And like, that's, that's not great for a young team. Just wow. continue to monitor that just to make sure everything's going to be hunky-dory in Pistons land and guys aren't like slamming chairs or yelling at coaches or just very frustrated at the end of a long season that they can't find the, the success they so desperately want.
0: Yeah, but you talk about the schedule, right? There's 14 games left on the road. You've got this four game road trip. Then March, you've got a three game road trip: New York, Philly, Toronto. Then April, you've got another four game road trip. So, like this, I don't know. This schedule this could get really ugly really fast. Last
1: nobody, nobody said it was going to be easy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, like 25 wins, like. Are the Pistons going to get there? Like, there's a there's a lot left on the schedule that's not pretty.
1: Yeah, they're, they're at, what, 19 now? Yeah. yeah. They can get to 23, probably. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's been a long year. All right, Ben. Uh, let us people know where they can find you, where they can find your work, where they can talk to you uh, on social media. Let them know what's up.
0: Yeah, at BRGolk on Twitter. I wrote a thing for the blog after the – Andre Drummond trade it was, it was a good thing it Thanks. was a good thing I appreciate it that was uh yeah it, it was a long time in the making so I'll have to I'll, I'll have to write some more I enjoyed it it was fun
1: yeah we uh we're we're divvying up uh like college basketball games to watch now about the draft yeah and so like that that's where we are in yeah. uh in Pistons land but you that's know what like,
0: at least we're we're on the same page as the front office this time right like the fans <laughs> understand we're bad and the front office knows so that's a good thing
1: That is a good thing. This is a level of continuity we haven't seen in a while. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Last Chance. That's at L-A-Z-C-H-A-N-C-E. As always, you should go to DetroitBadBoys.com. That's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis. And uh, we will talk to you guys next week.